0: Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. I mean, anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? It's time for Powell at the Park. one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs, Sox,
1: all your Chicago baseball news.
0: Dynamite drop-in money. Here's your host,
2: Kevin Powell. Play ball!
1: Welcome into another Powell at the Park Podcast episode number 15. Thank you for tuning in. Can't believe we're on 15 episodes already. I'm Kevin Powell. And on this week's episode, I talk with uh, WGN Radio's Adam Hogue, who I've had on the podcast before, but I wanted to have him on again because Adam got the uh, had the honors of throwing out the first pitch before Wednesday's White Sox game. So he was thrilled about that. Adam's been the uh, uh, he and Mark Carmen split duties as post game hosts at WGN, and uh, he was lucky enough to get the opportunity to do that. He grew up a lifelong Sox fan, so we'll talk about that whole process. We'll talk about his nerves. We'll talk about how it went, and we'll talk about how we prepared for it. I also chat with Steve Holm, who is the new, and I'm not sure. I'm gonna I, I ask him about this. Do you you call a baseball manager a manager or a coach? Because all I keep seeing is Steve Holm hired as Illinois State's new baseball coach. So maybe you only get the manager status when you're in the pros. I don't know. I'm going to ask Steve Holm about it. He was hired as the new Illinois State Redbird coach or manager, however we're putting him. Uh, so very excited about this podcast, this week's episode. Again, thank you for listening. Please subscribe, review, and rate iTunes, Google Play, however you consume the pod. If you take the time to uh, to, to do all that, that'd be great. Much appreciated. And before we get to Steve and Adam, we'll start with the rundown. Now, since I don't have a Cubs-oriented guest this week, I figured I would just dedicate the rundown to Cubs stuff. And top of mind, I think for all Cubs fans, is what's up with you? you Darvish suffering a setback in a bullpen session at Dodger Stadium on Thursday. Look, there's no way he's going to be back before the All-Star break. There seems to be a bit of a panic amongst Cubs nation regarding you Darvish. I think some of that's warranted. I mean, you gave him a $126 million contract. And as much as nobody really wants to... to to pin them against each other. I think for a lot of Cub fans, considering what Arietta did for the franchise, and you see what Arietta's doing with, with the Phillies, and Darvish has been nothing but injured or sick, or on the DL for the Cubs, I think that does add to the, the frustration for Cub fans. So I completely understand. You gave him a $126 million deal. You stuck with him for at least another five and a half years. Triceps injuries got him causing issues. Um, even when he 's uh, has been pitching he didn 't pitch all that well, so I understand the frustrations there 's definitely some 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 head scratching stuff going on with darvish there I feel like there has been a little bit a little bit over the top reaction to some of this stuff. I believe it was Morrissey who had the article comparing him to Derek Rose or who has the potential to be Derek Rose. thought that was maybe a bit of a stretch going with that angle but I realize that this is about as worse of a start for Darvish with the Cubs as you can possibly draw up. It really is. And it doesn't help that they've had all sorts of injuries. Again, I continue to point to Mike Montgomery. Cub fans should love Mike Montgomery. That guy is worthy of being a starter on so many teams throughout the league. Just about every team can have Mike Montgomery as a starter. He's proved he can be a starter. But he's a perfect swingman. And the Cubs have their five-man rotation set. If Darvish does come back... You know, after the All Star break, I wouldn't be completely shocked if the Cubs go to a six man rotation, take some stress off that bullpen, which has seen a lot of injuries. Brandon Morrow with the back, Carl Edwards Jr. is still out, so there's some issues there. They've had to get creative with what they do with that bullpen. But yeah, an absolutely awful start for you, Darvish, with the Cubs. On the positive note, John Lester's been outstanding, five and zero in the month of June, a one one three ERA limiting at a minutes to a 4.77 OPS. John Lester has been a stud. He's been exactly what you want out of the veteran pitcher. He's having a great year. It reminds me of his 2016 year when he was right there in the Cy Young conversation, lost out to Scherzer, but he and Hendricks were rounded out the top three in Cy Young voting. Lester was outstanding that year. And Lester's such a competitor. I love watching him pitch. So props to John Lester. 5-0 in the month of June, a one one three ERA. Overall ERA in the twos. Now, Kyle Hendricks, back to a negative. I don't know what's going on there. He's coming off his shortest outing since he threw two innings in 2014 against the Orioles on August 23rd. Didn't make it out of the third against the Dodgers. Got rocked. He's had a couple weird games like that this year. You know, Last year, he dealt with a finger injury. I don't know if there's anything going on there. But his margin for error is so thin. We talk about his command, and it's there. But when he's not hitting his spots... And when the hitters are used to seeing power pitchers these days, which is what they're accustomed to now, guys throwing 95-plus all the time, if Hendricks is missing his spots, those guys are going to catch up to Hendricks, period. End of story, they will. Hendricks, his his model has been command, pinpoint command, throw it through a teacup, off-speed stuff. But if he's missing, guys are going to catch up to it. I mean, it's why you're going to continue to see power arms because the margin for error is, is larger when you can throw 95 or 100. You can miss a spot and a guy can't catch up. Hendricks misses a spot throwing 90. It's a meatball to some of these guys. So Jock Peterson, I mean, how rarely do you see a guy? It was uh, Contreras called for a high and in against Jock Peterson. And it ended up being, I don't know, six inches higher. Contreras had to go up and try to reach for it, and Peterson turned on it. I mean, a chest-high fastball he turned on. How often do you see that in baseball? Guys always go for it, but they almost always miss. Peterson turned on it. A, a, am talking mid chest, maybe even up near the neck. Peterson turned on it and was able to take it out of the park. So his margin for error is very slim. But remember, Hendricks, after he had that finger injury last year, he finished the final two months of the season very strong. And the Cubs under Madden have dominated post-All-Star break. They have. They went in the All-Star break five and a half games back of the Brewers last year. (laughs) Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So. Obviously, some struggles for the Cubs. You, Darvish, some head scratching stuff there. Hasn't helped what Chris Jimenez said that he thinks Cub fans don't like him. Um, some of that stuff I think has been overblown, and people are going to run with it. But it is different when you, you sign a $126 million contract. All eyes on you, you, Darvish. Um, overall, though, I'll end with this, and I continue to tell Cub fans this Joe Madden knows how to manage post All Star break. He does. Just look at his record. It's best in, best in baseball. The Cubs know how to finish down the stretch. They have. They've done it the past few years now. I think the Cubs will be just fine. And keep in mind, Chris Bryant is on the DL as well. Chris Bryant hasn't exactly clicked all year, and they're still right there. It's a couple games back of the Brewers. The Cubs are going to be fine. Brewers don't have the firepower unless they do something big at the, at the trade deadline. Cubs are the best team in the National League. The Cubs are the best team in the National League. I truly believe that. And they're lingering, and they haven't even played their best baseball. It's been hot and cold all year. As I record this segment, they've lost 6 of 7. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up winning 7 of 8 and bouncing back from that. The Cubs will be fine, but I think for Cub fans, and I I think a lot of that frustration stems from the fact that they're not trying to go to the postseason they're not trying to go back to the NLCS. They're trying to win a World Series. And if the Cubs are going to win a World Series, they need Darvish to pitch like he, he's able to. He needs to maximize his ability. He needs to get his mind right. He needs to get healthy. Cubs are going to win the World Series. They need Darvish. They absolutely need him. You know, Lester's been great. If you got Darvish clicking on all cylinders, you got Hendricks getting stuff figured out down the stretch. And you factor in Darvish, who has the best stuff out of all of them. He does. His stuff is nasty. Swing and miss type stuff. So I think that's what people are kind of getting anxious about, is that this team is good enough to win the World Series, but at starting rotation, he's got to figure it out, other than Lester. Q's been better. Chatwood, I don't know. That's a whole mess. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. He's got a whip near two, practically. Um, but you can survive with four starters in the postseason. I don't even think you need, you need Chatwood. So you need Darvish to figure it out by the playoffs. You do. And down the stretch here. But shut him down until after the all-star break. Don't expect him back uh, before that. So th- those are my thoughts, my tidbits, my nuggets on the Cubs. And that was this week's rundown. Alright, my first guest on the podcast this week, from the White Sox dugout ahead of Thursday's game, I talked with Adam Hogue, who had just hours before thrown the first pitch before the Sox game. Pretty cool experience for Adam, who is our WGN White Sox post-game host. Here's my conversation with him from Guaranteed Right Field. Alright, Adam Hogue, just a, a day after you threw out your first pitch... Here at Guaranteed Rate Field, the reviews are in, and Rick Hahn has apparently offered you a contract, a minor league deal. Is that is that true? Uh,
2: I don't know if that's true. I did make it clear though I'm available for any double headers. As the 26 man, they need somebody to kill some innings on a day. I think I could do it.
1: Well, you know, in hockey, remember the guy who's—they have like the third back, the the emergency, emergency backup goalie that sits yeah. in the press box. That could be you, the emergency, emergency pitcher for one of these 18-inning games where they've run out of pitchers. Yeah, who is that guy this year? Uh, I'm Fletcher. Oh, that sounds. Was right. that his name? Local hockey guy who just sits up there and hangs out, and he got lucky and got to go actually play in a with the Blackhawks. I think you're onto something here.
2: Yeah, the beer league goaltender. Yeah. I drink beer and I like baseball, so there should be some kind of role like that for Major League Baseball. No, that was, uh, I mean, they told me about that about a week before I did it, and i it basically ruined my life for a week, thinking about the pressure, uh, and then right before I went out there, Rick Hahn did say something to me that added pressure, and Brooks Boyer from the White Sox said that the entire weight of the organization and WGN Radio was on my shoulders. And that was as I was on the Jumbotron walking out there, he said that to me. So, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the result. Lucas Giolino called for a changeup and gave me a good, good spot on the uh, inside corner and I hit
1: the I hit the mitt, which I, I don't. That's what you got to do, right? I was impressed, but yeah, the relationship between WGN and the White Sox is is strong right now. In year one of our agreement, imagine if you had bounced it. This this could have ruined a lot of things for a lot of people. I think that's what Brooks was getting
2: at. I, I think he was saying that you know I could really blow this whole thing. So I'm glad I could uh, keep it afloat a little bit
1: longer. Would have been a bad look. Okay, before we get into like present day socks and where they're at and all those sorts of things, you're a north sider like, not just a North Suburbs guy. You're a Lincoln Park, like, minutes from Wrigley Field type guy. I, myself, am a Northwest Suburbs guy. Grew up a Sox fan. Um, talk about your Sox fandom, how that happened. I, I'm pretty sure your dad might be the biggest Sox fan out there, so I'm going to guess you're going to go with, with that angle. I'm sure he, he wanted to make sure you were a Sox fan. Well, my mom was from Oak Lawn, so she was a South Sider
2: my dad grew up in Princeton, Illinois, which is out in the western farm fields. And the, my understanding is that, because that, even though it's west, borders in the Cardinals territory. They, I don't think people realize how much of Illinois the Cardinals actually own. He was a big Harry Carey guy. And, back, and so my understanding is when Harry Carey was calling White Sox games, they only got the Sox games where they lived. And then, so that's sort of the reason why he was more of a Sox guy. But yeah, I grew up in on the north side. Look, I love baseball, so no question. Grew up a Sox fan. Have so many memories of coming to the ballpark. I even vaguely remember the old Comiskey Park. Um, But you know, when the Cubs were in town, I'd ride my bike up the Wrigley too, and go and just to go see baseball games with really no rooting interest because I could ride my bike there. I remember riding my bike there and. Uh, 2003 during the NLCS uh, when they blew it, the Bartman. I was standing out in uh, on Sheffield when that happened. Uh, so, so you know, I just love baseball, and that's always been kind of my first love. So as much as I cover football, you know, this deal. Well, as soon as the White Sox came available, I was like, uh, "Hey, we got to go get the White Sox," and we did. So it's
1: been it's been a lot of fun this season. Um, okay, and, and let's go back to the first pitch real quick. You mentioned how it ruined a week for you. How much practice did you put into it? Were you like, were you out throwing, throwing heaters all day leading up to it? Were you kind of mechanics, studying video? What sorts of things were you doing to get ready for this? Okay, so I'll be 100% honest about this.
2: Uh, two days before I threw it out, threw out the first pitch, I tried to get my wife – we live on a – like, right, we board our park, and I tried to get her out there. My son James is – He turns four next month. He's not quite capable of catching throws. Start him young, man. I'm trying, but he's not quite able to catch for me. So I try to get my wife to catch. She's pretty athletic, actually, I mean. But as soon as we got more than like 30, 40 feet apart, it was becoming a little bit more of an issue. So yesterday I went to the tennis courts out there. And with three tennis balls, and I picked a spot on the fence, and I just and I estimated sixty-five feet, and I, I just tried to hit that spot. So I did practice a little bit. Uh, Robbie, one of the clubhouse guys here, who helps out with BP, let me play catch with him for about thirty seconds. That was like three hours before the first pitch, though. So I think all that did was make my arm sore. I don't know that that actually helped, but
1: so I, I practiced a little. Well, you nailed it, and it went about as well as it as it could have. Um, okay. Enough about your first pitch. Let's talk about the actual White Sox. Last night, um, Thursday night, we saw James Shields put together another great start. Twelve of his last 13 starts. He's gone at least six innings. He's been an innings eater. I feel like the narrative's kind of been the same now for a couple months because he's been so consistent is that as much as we haven't even really talked to him about it and we haven't really asked the Sox about it yet, There's still about a month to the deadline, I think the Sox can absolutely get something of value for him in a prospect.
2: I, I try to think about where he would project on a playoff team. Like if you were to and I don't know what teams are interested in him, but if you were to, you know, slot him on the Dodgers or the Cubs or something like that, how he would how he would fit in and, and I don't know what you think, Kev, but I for what he's giving the White Sox right now. Quality starts almost every time out. Yesterday was more than a quality start. Yeah. Didn't give up a run seven innings. Was outstanding. He didn't get early in the game. He didn't get a whole lot of help and was able to pitch over that. You know, he to me he would slot in as a possible fourth starter on a playoff team, or you know how you use your fifth starter in those situations, long relief. You go through your bullpen like crazy in the playoffs. There's got to be some role for James Shields on a playoff team, so. I don't know it. He's certainly not bringing you a Jose Quintana type haul, but if you could get a prospect or two out of it, um, especially considering that he was the really the last move they made, the last big move they made before they decided to rebuild, and it actually went against what they ended up trying to do with the rebuild, to be able to get something out of that uh, would, would be very positive. On the flip side, it would be damaging to this team right now because this team looks a lot better on a day-to-day basis when their pitchers are pitching well. It's baseball, uh, any teams like that. But really, the the Sox have gone through good stretches here as of late, and that's been when the pitching's been good, and James Shields has been a big part of that.
1: See, for me, the the way Shields, because it's all going to just depend on what the market's at. Here's why I think they could potentially get a pretty decent Hall form, whatever decent hall, whatever that means to anybody. Let's just say a prospect that, a meaningful prospect, a guy, maybe a top 10 prospect from a team is that, look, if a team's in contention near the deadline, and let's say all of a sudden they lose a third starter and the diagnosis is he's out for a month, and that team goes, well, we need a guy to come out here every five days, eat some innings for us. I don't even necessarily know if he'd make the playoff roster, but he'd have a ton of value for a team that, instead of going into desperation mode and and pulling guys up for your farm system, whatever it may be, you bring in a 36-year-old veteran who's been around this game for a while just to eat some innings for you down this stretch, at least to... You're not, so you're not killing your bullpen and things like that if you are in contention? That's a scenario where I see a team maybe getting, um, I don't even necessarily want to say desperate, but a team that's willing to pay maybe a little bit more than even his market value is. I'd also, just as a, a fan, like
2: to see James Shields get that opportunity. I, I mean, when, when he got traded here, the whole idea was he was leaving a team that was pretty much gone for dead, trying to rebuild. And that's why they wanted Tatis Jr., who the White Sox ended up giving up in that trade. And he was going to be coming here to a contender. And obviously the whole script got flipped flipped because that didn't work out that season. So now he's been here and he's been in that situation he thought he was getting away from in right. San
1: Diego. Which... And to his credit, now he's probably pitching himself back onto a team in contention. I think you got to respect what the guy's been able to do this year. I think a lot of Sachs fans were frustrated for a while, but what he's done this year, now that he's healthy and he's reinvented his game, you got to respect the hell out of that.
2: Well, and I don't know that he would have been able to reinvent his game the way he did had he not been here right now. Right. You know, if he, was, if he was out there on a contender, you know, this White Sox situation has allowed him Longer leash. Right, to work through some of this stuff. And he now is at the point where, that's what I'm saying, I would actually, if the Sox trade him, it'll hurt this team this year. That's, doesn't really matter. It'll help them long term if they can get a big time prospect. But for his sake, I will, wherever he goes, I will be watching him to see how this approach, this the, the way he has
1: remade his pitching approach, would fit in on a contender. I think it would be fun to watch. Yeah, and you gotta respect what he's done in the clubhouse. Those guys love him. I think he's teaching a lot of these guys uh, how to be a veteran, how to be a pro. <clears throat> One of the guys he is teaching, or at least showing the way to, is Reynaldo Lopez, who's You know, when that Adam Eaton deal was made, I think a lot of Sox fans were excited because of the haul that Rick Hahn was able to get. Giolito was sort of of, uh, overshadowing Lopez in that deal because Giolito for so long was this talked-about top prospect, and I think a lot of Sox fans still have some hope for him to be a a, a legitimate starting pitcher. Reynaldo Lopez all of a sudden has emerged as a guy who a two maybe down the road, certainly a three, but he's been uh, just about nothing but consistent this year. By the way,
2: if Giolito from this point
1: forward takes off, I'm taking full credit for it for the first pitch. That's a good point. Giolito caught your pitch. Um, you know, it, you, you've you've kind of like blessed his glove. You know, <laughs> you guys shook hands, took a picture together. So maybe you put some positive vibes in Giolito. Well, and he's pitching today as we, as we record this.
2: And. Last couple outings, he's been much better, striking out more, walking less, which is obviously what you want to do as a pitcher. and you know, we saw him last year in that brief stint that he was up with the team, and he was outstanding. So we we know he can pitch. Uh, we know he has the ability. Uh, you know, I don't know everything that's gone into it with the mechanics, and I, I think he, like any player, he, some some of these guys max out velocity wise almost while they're in the minors it's not all about throwing hard. you got to be able to pitch. And, and, and I said this... Um, or no, I didn't say this, but yesterday I was doing Sports Talk Live with, and Ozzy Guillen was on the show with us. And we were talking about these young guys and how hard they're throwing and things like that. And Ozzy goes just give me somebody that could throw strikes. Give me Mark Burley. I mean, because ultimately that's what it comes down to. You need to be able to locate. You need to be able to pitch, not just throw. And I think all these guys right now are figuring that out. It, it, there's no question that Reynaldo Lopez is talented. Lucas Giolito's talented. Uh, Carlos Rodon just walked by us. He's got a number one starter stuff. These guys are learning how to pitch, learn pitch sequence, learn their scouting reports, go out there and execute. There's a lot that goes into it. I think fans sometimes when you're sitting in the stands, you're just thinking, oh, yeah. You know, you're just relying on your nasty slider and getting guys out. There's so much that
1: pitchers are processing from pitch to pitch and batter to batter. Okay, before I let you go, let's flip flip to the offensive side of things. Yoan Moncada, um, we've seen some success on on the uh, right on against lefties, and maybe not so much against uh, uh, well the reverse, I guess lefty again. Not so much against lefties against righties. Defensively, though. 11 errors I believe he's at right now. Probably not where I think a lot of people thought he was going to be at defensively. But I think, you know, the people, what I keep telling people is he's 23 years old. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a, he has this leash. He has this window where the Sox can, can allow him to develop. Um, I guess just your thoughts on Moncada this year, what you've seen from him at the plate and defensively. Yeah, you know, if he had come up during like the winning window,
2: uh, this stuff would be harder to to swallow right now and put up with, I think. But I keep saying it, you know, on the offensive side, when he hits the ball, it's be- I mean, it looks like a superstar is hitting the ball. Uh, the, the ball jumps off the bat. He's got a beautiful swing, especially on the left side where he's had more success. So it's there. The, the talent is there. It's the same thing we were just talking about with the pitchers. you got to learn this game. People don't realize the biggest jump you make is not from – a to double A or double A to AAA. It's from triple A to the major leagues. This is the biggest jump you make, and there's development that still happens here at the major league level. So offensively, I think that bat's going to come around. His numbers are actually very similar to Anthony Rizzo's numbers when he came up. At this point, with the amount of plate appearances he's had, they're almost identical. He's, he's going to figure that side out. The, the frustrating thing for me and part of this is because I used to be a second baseman, are the errors, and Ricky Renteria was talking about this today, and I and I loved how he broke it down. I mean, he was not getting in front of baseballs, and it, that's what to me was so frustrating to watch. Was he come in at an angle or try to grab it on the side of his body with his glove, and that's where most of his errors were coming. And it was just get in front of the ball, square up to the baseball. It, it, these are fundamentals that it doesn't matter what your ta- talent level is, you can do it. And I think he's starting to figure that side out because, you know, guys are hitting the ball harder at this level. You can't get to everything. You need to to get in front of the baseball and and hopefully defensively he starts to figure that. I made a great play last night. Um, I think on uh, was on Rosario or Escobar, one of the two. He that grounder he dove, got up, nailed him at first. That looked like a an all star like defensive
1: play. All right, Adam Hogue, how much fun you having as the uh, post game host? One of the post game hosts for for White Sox baseball, your 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 boyhood team, team you uh, grew up watching and loving, and now you're the post game host. How awesome has it been so far this year?
2: It's been great, uh, frustrating at times after some of these games, no question. Uh, but you know that the talent's coming, and you know it's just for somebody who just loves baseball. You know this, Kev. It's the same way. I mean, right now we're sitting in the White Sox dugout as we yeah. record this. You know, just being at the ballpark. It's 80 degrees today. I love these day games in the middle of the week. Um, it, 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 that's just the fun part of it is being around the game uh, on a day to day basis. And just knowing that a year or two from now this team's going to be contending at a high level. Uh, th- that part's exciting too.
1: Final question When do Eloy. And Copa get called up. That's that's a required question. On every single podcast, I've asked my White Sox guests that. That's, that's a required question to every person yeah. I talk to. And Rick Hahn. every time you see him, you should ask him that as well. Yeah, I'm sure he
2: likes that too. Um, so here's what I need to still figure out because already, like David Kaplan on Sports Talk Live was already bringing up like the Chris Bryant thing, like, oh, he can't come up until April 12th, so you get a seventh year out of it. Is that even the same situation at this point? I mean, if we're in spring training next year, I get that. If there's a service time deal, and I obviously, I actually haven't even nailed that down. I mean, that with Chris Bryant, that was highly publicized because Scott Boris was making a big deal out of it, his agent. You know, in Eloy's situation right now, it was like a half a season to go. If he's ready to come up, and I realize he's... You know, he's not gonna help his team make the playoffs this year. But it's just what I was talking about with Moncada. He's got development here to do. So if you can get him up to this level, to me that's they'll figure out the contract later. If he's a superstar and gonna be the fra- you know, face of this franchise for a decade,
1: he'll be here for more than six or seven years. So I don't I'm not worried about the service time right now. Right, and that's what I've said about Eloy. And even Kopak. It's probably a little different for positional players and pitchers. But look, for Eloy, if he's ready. Bring him up, simple as that. If you think he's ready, bring him up whenever you want to bring him up.
2: That's where I am right now. Now, he's two home runs to Triple A. Yeah. Uh, he, he's so good. I mean, you just, you, you just, I saw him in spring training that one at bat because he was hurt while I was there and he surprisingly pinch hit against the Cubs the day I was actually leaving town, but I was at the game and he comes in and he just hits a home run right away. And it was like, come on. I mean that they, they, it, it, he's. They're both really talented. So I, to answer your question, I don't know when, but I think they'll both be up at some point in the season.
1: Thanks for joining the podcast. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. And well done again on the first pitch. Pretty impressive. That to answer your earlier question, that's the highlight of the, uh, the the gig so far. Yeah.
1: Thanks, man. All right. Pretty great stuff from Adam. Some good Sox talk there, and of course talking about his experience throwing the first pitch. Adam has a very successful. Bears podcast. Must listen Bears podcast. Hogan Johns. Look for it on iTunes and anywhere you can find a podcast. But Adam, a diehard White Sox fan, and uh, and he covers the Bears as a reporter very, very well. So thanks to Adam for, for joining me on the podcast. Up next, Steve Holm, the new Illinois State Redbird manager or coach? I think that's my first question. Is everything I've seen, all the, uh, the media releases, all the stories, do college... Baseball coaches call themselves managers? I know this is so dumb, but I'm just curious because I don't know what to call a manager or coach. Anyways, here's my conversation with Steve Holm, the new head of Illinois State Redbird Baseball. We're now joined by Steve Holm, the new head baseball coach at Illinois State. Steve, here's my question. Is it coach or manager in college? Because everything I've seen written about you, it says new head coach, Steve Holm. Is it manager or coach in college, or do you have to be in in the pros to be considered a manager?
0: College baseball, they refer to you as the head coach, but um, pro ball, it's definitely manager. But in pro ball, you never call them coach. I found that out on my first day when I signed. So it's uh, first name or last name.
1: All right. Well, first of all, thoughts on just being named the new Illinois State head coach. I'm I'm a passionate alum. I absolutely loved it there. I even did a victory lap. I was there for five years. Steve, we won't get into the reasons why I was there for five years, but I loved it there. I was I used to go to Duffy Bass Field and watch games. How excited are you uh, to be a part of the Redbird family?
0: Oh yeah, my family we're we're all pretty pumped. My wife is from St. Louis, so it's uh three hours for her. Um, she had actually moved out to California when I was playing, so um. The intent was to get her back close to home, which we did, you know, close at Purdue. And then the intent for me was to be a head coach at some point. And then, so that, that helps there. That that box is checked. And then, you know, as a first-time head coach, you're landing at a spot in a multi-bid league for, you know, college baseball. That's usually you have to go to a league where it's a single-bid league. And be able, to be able to skip that, I mean, that was, you know, yet another box check. So this this was kind of the perfect storm for us. You know, we couldn't have landed at a better spot.
1: Let's get to know Steve Holm a little bit. You're a West Coast guy. Grew up in Sacramento, is that right? And then you ended up, you did play some pro ball a little bit. And then when did you decide that you wanted to be a manager, whether it was at the collegiate level or, or, or minors or even at the big league level? Is this always something that you wanted to do, is to be a manager or a head coach?
0: Um, yeah, I think so. You know, I, I, I went to school at Oral Roberts, which is in Tulsa. So that was kind of my first taste of the uh, Midwest. That's where I met my wife. And, uh, you know, then obviously I played pro ball for 12 years after that. And when I got into pro ball, I, I definitely knew that I wanted to stay within the game. And, you know, whether that was a coach or a head manager or go back to college or scouting, whatever that was, you know, I wasn't quite sure at the time. And then, you know, as it got, you know, longer into my career and I got older and older I definitely knew I you know I wanted to wanted to manage or be a head coach at some point and you know so I ended up getting lucky and got got on at Sacramento State which was my hometown and it, he actually offered me the job 3 days before I got released my last year I was with the Marlins at that point AAA so he offered me the job and then 3 days later I got released and you know kind of look up in the sky and go, oh, I, I guess it's time you know so I uh took that job and was it you know pitching coach out there for four years and you know we, we just drew a map around St. Louis my wife and I have places that you know we wanted to kind of find a spot to be that was close enough for her to be home you know close to home and me to still do my thing and you know that's how I ended up at Purdue and um, you know then obviously parlayed that into this this one here.
1: Well, I love Bloomington Normal. I loved it at Illinois State. (sniffs) Have you gotten to know the town a little bit at all? Have you tried any of the food? Because I recommend cheese curds at Pub 2. That's the popular hangout. Maggie Miley's on Main Street is good for fish and chips as well. Have you kind of scouted out your new neighborhood yet?
0: I have been there on an interview, which we did not go to the pub, by the way, on an interview. Um, Number two, I was there uh, Monday. Signed a lot of paperwork and documents, and I ate at the uh, world-renowned Chipotle on that day. (laughs) And then uh, my wife and I, we went back house hunting yesterday. And so I've been back and forth recruiting in between. Um, I have not been around the town as much as uh, I would like to. And hopefully when school starts, my job will slow down at that point enough that we can actually go out to eat. So that's kind of where we're at right now.
1: There's some solid grub around there. Are you a golfer, Steve? I can hit a golf ball very far, but not very straight. <laughs> Sounds
0: like a and typical not baseball not player. Refer to it as, you do not refer to it as golfing. How's that? <laughs> okay.
1: Well, there's plenty of good golf down there. I'll just say that. The student course is one of my favorite courses, and I'm a golf junkie. So um... I'm more of a driving range guy. How's that? Okay. Well, I think they have a, a brand-new practice facility with a driving range. They've upgraded that. <laughs> so you, you know, the, the ISU Athletics over the past 5, 10, 15 years – has continued to grow. Brock Spax, the head football coach, they're in a great uh, spot. Dan Muller is the head basketball coach. They're in a pretty good spot as well. So um, have you had a chance to kind of get in tune with Redbird athletics and um, I I guess just how excited are you to be a part of the athletic department at ISU?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I certainly did did my homework before the interview. In case they asked me any questions, I didn't want to sound like I didn't know what I was talking about, but uh, I know that, you know, Brock's back, coming from Purdue. A lot of people have drawn that comparison Mm -hmm. to uh, myself so far. Um, You know, it's just it's one of those spots. You know, at that mid-major level, that is giving coaches resources to actually win win ball games, and that's what was so attractive to not only myself but all the other candidates that tried to get the ISU baseball job. Is it's a mid-major where they're really trying, and the other side of the the school itself throws sports out. The school's have sought after school to kids up there in Chicago that you can go up there and you can steal a big ten player and if you're gonna be good whether any of those sports, you're stealing, you know, the big ten player here and there and all of a sudden you're you know, you got a pretty good club. So, you know, that that's what was so exciting is you know the athletic department's, you know, giving you resources to win and then the school's have sought after school, you know, for the for the kid there in Illinois.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of ISU fans are, are, are excited uh, about the hiring. Um, ISU athletics in general, I mean, people get pretty excited about it. I live up in Chicago area, and I still come down every year, and uh, hopefully I can come catch a baseball game. Um, okay, in terms of your philosophy or values, every manager seems to have one or two or three core um, ideas of how they want their team to play, go about their business. What's the message you set to your team moving forward?
0: Um, I, I think that in, especially in college baseball, there's two ways to win. You can you can try and score more runs than the other team, or you can try and give up less runs than the other team. And we're we're going to try to give up less runs. We're going to pitching and defense. You know, I I played for Bruce Bochy when I was with the Giants. He's probably the master at running the bullpen. And at that ballpark, you couldn't hit balls over the fence anyway. So if you couldn't figure out how to win three to two, you were just not going to win. So that that's how we're going to try to construct this thing. I I can't say that we're going to construct it that way from the get go because I don't know all the players on the roster and how they're you know what what tool set they bring. So we're going to do the best we can, you know, and put each guy in situations to succeed. But once you get down the line a little bit on recruiting, that's how I envision this thing being constructed. It's a team that can win win the ball game three to two, and you're going to do that with pitching and defense and you know a little bit of speed and put a little pressure on them here and there. But essentially. We're looking to be able to play crisp, clean throw strikes and be able to win that three to two ball game.
1: You mentioned recruiting. There's some former Redbirds in the pros right now. You look at Paul DeYoung with the Cardinals, who's putting uh, you know putting a nice little career together. Brock Stewart's in the Dodgers system. Um, there's a handful of guys. How, does that is that a tool for you in the recruiting process to point to guys that have gone through Illinois State and then made it to the pros?
0: Yeah, I mean every every program does. Their best to put their, you know, their best foot forward whenever you have a recruit. But, you know, the the best thing about, you know, Paul DeYoung playing for the, the St. Louis Cardinals is the fact that essentially you're recruiting kids within the same region for the most part mm-hmm. that know the Cardinals. And they know that coming in to where you don't have to sell it. It's already there. And, 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 you know, it's kind of the elephant in the room. And once you bring it up, you know, you get a little smile here and there because they, you know, you know. and. and Anybody who's been in the Midwest realizes that St. Louis Cardinal fans are as diehard baseball fans as there is. So, when you, when you can recruit a kid that is familiar with that, I mean, it's, it, everything is golden. Then,
1: Steve Holm, he's the new head coach of the Illinois State baseball program. Steve, I'm telling you, when you get to when you settle down, there, there's some good grub around there. If you want to be one with the Illinois State student body, head over to the pub too. Get yourself some cheese curds, maybe a cold beer, and if you want, uh, if you want some good fish and chips or like a pub style place, Maggie Miley's just a little bit of ways. It's less, uh, it's less collegey, a, lot of, a little less crazy. But uh, I love Bloomington Normal. I still visit it all the time. Um, all the best to, uh, to you, Steve, and your family. Uh, I know the ICU family is excited to have you on board.
0: Well, I appreciate it, but I might go with the less crazy, just so you know.
1: <laughs> maybe one time though, maybe hang out with the crowd. You know, see what the see what the student section's all about. Maybe at a
0: football game I would be in in, in the student section, not so much after.
1: There you go. All right, Steve. Well, I hope to touch base down the road. Good luck with everything, and um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be pulling for you for sure. Oh, okay. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Great stuff from Steve Holm. Thank you to him. Thank you to Adam Hogue, WGN's Adam Hogue, for joining the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. That's episode number 15. Follow me on Twitter at KPowell720. Be sure to subscribe, review, and rate on iTunes. Thanks again. Have a great day. Appreciate you listening.